Hello and welcome to the Black Women Working Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. I am with Chantelle today. Chantelle, how are you doing? I am okay. <laughs> I love the honesty. What does okay mean? I remember I said to someone else, I was okay and they were like, okay doesn't mean anything. Are you okay? Yeah, I mean, okay. A bland- okay by and large means just surviving on the day-to-day balance of all the hats I wear but I'm not miserable and nothing terrible has happened so we stay okay so yeah so basically <laughs> the Jamaican version is Medea basically yeah Medea Medea you. okay cool. <laughs> do you know what I am I am sick Similar, but I am tipping towards more, not misery, but just frustration. So I have too much admin to do and I'm doing the part of my job that I hate the most a lot, which is um, billing and asking people to pay me. That's the best part. Get your money, girl. No, it's not actually because people try and argue with you and be like, oh, even though the bill should be this, can we do this? Like It becomes a bartering and it's just like, no. Like I've worked and I've done the work and I want to be paid. So when I say we, it's not my firm, but you get what I'm trying to say. So rightly so. Yeah, I get you. Like it just adds a whole never level of dread, like asking for money and then mm. anticipating you're not going to get that money or someone's going to barter with you. But then you've got internal pressures because you need to bill and you need to drive and you need to collect. And these are all things that have happened to me since I've become a senior associate. Oh, for the days I wish I could be junior and just not have a clue about so with role comes responsibility part anyway I'm not going to go into I'm not going to dominate the podcast because we have to get on but part of me is like that's not the responsibility I want love but anyway that leads um quickly onto our subject but before Chantel tells me off I'm going to make sure I give you a quick reminder to follow us on Twitter and Instagram our social media handles are UK on Twitter, on Instagram, as we said, and on TikTok, I believe. Um, we also have our website, which is blackwomenworking.co.uk. Dot com. Sorry, we worldwide. Sorry, babes. We worldwide.com. And um, we are on LinkedIn now, Black Women Working. And if you want to email us, contact us, you can always DM us. But if you want to send an email, you can email us at blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com. Well done, Natalie. Excellent work. <laughs> I don't know why this has become like a stronghold in my life. But like, anyway, anything I get anxious about, I usually mess up. But today we are discussing being ready and staying ready. So everyone knows that phrase that I think it was... Um, What's her name? Tiffany. You know who I'm talking about, the comedian. Ish, Tiffany something-ish. Tiffany Haddish, like she ready. And that was the phrase that they used after she had done Girls Trip and she was really blowing up. And it was like she had been doing all this work to get ready to be in this position. And once she was in the position, she was ready. She was she ready and she stayed ready. And so we kind of flipped that phase to, to apply it to our working lives with the principle that if you stay ready for opportunities, for promotion, you don't have to get ready. So that's what we're trying to do. As you know, this year, our theme is working on me. And part of doing the work, the payoff of doing the work, 
really is the results that you want to get. So sometimes that can be a pay rise, a promotion, a healthier self-appreciation attitude when it comes to these things and when they're due to you. And so it's just really important for us to think about how to prepare for the reality and the achievements we want and how to be comfortable doing this background work and to be comfortable with the process. So we have Rebecca Mariocchi here with us today. Rebecca is a career coach specifically for women of colour. She's the founder of the BOSS movement and her purpose well, I don't want to say purpose, you can tell us what you feel your purpose is, but her drive and her passion is to empower um, women of colour into promotions, into senior leadership positions in the workplace. Because we need more of that. We, I need more of that. My bank account needs more of that. But anyway, it's not about me. Welcome, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for the lovely introduction, Natalie. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for joining us. Um, I don't think we um, have really talked about this in terms of leadership as a mindset. So I'm really excited to kind of dig in. But before we get started, um, please tell us about your journey. Thank you. Oh, yeah, we're, we could be here the whole day talking about <laughs> it, but I'll just give you the highlight reel. So I've been in the corporate world for the last 12 years now. And I still remember the first day getting into my new job straight out of campus. And, you know, I was really excited about it because I honestly thought it was going to be just a replay of campus life. You know, know. you work hard, <laughs> you keep your head down, get out, stay out of trouble and you'll be good to go. And yeah, I was in for a shock of my life because there were so many unwritten rules of the corporate game. And it just seemed that some people got this rule book that I didn't seem to have gotten in campus. And I was like, how are they doing this so naturally? And I don't seem to be getting it, you know, and I was working hard. I was staying late, doing all the things, but I wasn't progressing the way I wanted to. And of course, there was comparison syndrome because I was comparing myself to the people I started with. And, you know, there were all a lot of other layers with this journey. You know, I was the only black woman in my team of 20. I didn't even realize that there were a lot of things that, you know, were naturally a sort of not working for me just because of how the workplace was set up. And this was 12 years ago. So you can imagine how things were then, mm -hmm. you know, now, especially with, you know, Black Lives Matter and all these other movements that have come into play since then, I think some of the issues that we used to experience back then are being talked about now, you know, in the open, but back then it wasn't like that. And so it, it took a lot of me getting to understand myself, getting to understand the different dynamics of how to work with people um, and how it was not just about me working hard, especially once I moved past, you know, assistant manager sort of role and there were fewer people, which meant there was more competition, right, um, to, to move and to progress into senior levels. And I think I would say my turning point was, I'll probably put it at around three years ago when, and, and I love the introduction you shared because that's exactly what I did. I started working on myself because I was focused so much on the job 
that I had neglected me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Who I was being, how I was showing up, who I really and truly was, and just bringing out myself authentically. I feel like I had even lost myself authentically because I was trying so hard to be this quote unquote confident person. But in the process, I was trying to do it the way I saw other people doing it who didn't even look like me, right? Who didn't even come from backgrounds like me. Um, And so I think that turning point really was the genesis of my growth and, and how I was able to, you know, move up the ranks, go from manager to director, leading a team of 19. And I say this because I think a lot of people see the highlight reels of people's fancy LinkedIn profiles, but there's a lot to uncover from it, right? From the results. And I think what what I see is a lot of leaders and bless their hearts, you know, they'll say, just work hard and just be patient, but it's so much more than that, right? There's so much of mindset work and working on you and who you are that is required in order to win in this corporate game. Can you elaborate? Just like if you could pick out one single moment or thing that you did that started to reflect your confidence in an authentic way, what would you say it was? Am I allowed to say two things? (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. I think the first thing was I took radical responsibility, like radical responsibility for my results, which is not the easiest thing to do, especially when you know that, you know, you're, you're, you've experienced microaggression and you're held to such a higher standard than other people, um, your counterparts. But I think that was the first thing I did, really taking that radical responsibility. And then the second thing I would say that helped me step into who I was authentically was loving myself as the introvert I was and starting to believe that there was a way I could lead with impact and still fully embrace who I was on the inside. Me being an introvert, not having to be the one to say the last word in every meeting, not having to be the one to speak the most, right? But that also does not mean that I sit there and stay in silence when I have ideas that I am very much convicted with. Um, And then I just give myself that excuse that, oh, no, you're the introvert. Introverts don't speak up in meetings. So I think there's a lot of duality that goes with it. But I think the, the, the domino effect was started with taking that radical responsibility. Mm, I like that phrase. Nat? Yeah, that's a tough one, radical responsibility. But it, it is true because ultimately you have to think about what you can control. You have to yeah. think about what you can do better. So just um, on a practical level, like what are the issues that you believe can sometimes be holding Black women, women of colour back in the workplace that are specific to, to us and how we're raised and how we show up at work? Oh, yeah, uh, a, a lot, I think. And I think when you start to do that work on yourself is when you realise that a lot of the conditioning from how we were raised 
uh, can actually work against us in the workplace. And that's not to say forget who you were and, you know, how your parents raised you and, and just become a totally different person. It's just to have that awareness that some of those past conditioning, uh, you might need to just rethink whether that's how you want to show up at work, right? And so I think for me, one of the things that stands out the most from my upbringing was, you know, I was taught not to speak back to people in senior, you know, senior than me or yeah. older than me. You know, when your parents say something, even if it's not your parent, as long as it's someone who's older than you, you don't speak back, you don't answer back. And then when I got into the corporate world, like my colleagues, my age mates were challenging the partners in the firm in meetings. And I was like sitting there in awe, like, how can you speak back to them? You know, you should just say yes. And that's just be thing. the yes person. That's one thing mm. about my conditioning. I've never had an issue with actually. I don't know, Shan, how about you? Because <laughs> you got no need to say that to me. Um, as in from you. Um, I don't know. School, I sp- obviously, I spent most of my career in education. So I don't think I have, I don't think it's big, but it does tipple in, especially when, like, in a leadership position, I guess, outside of school. Like, for example, today, I was like to my boss, oh, I've got an appointment in the evening, so I'll come in early and I need to leave at four. And she was like, why are you telling me? Like, <laughs> get your work done and go. And there is still something very much about the sort of yes, no, or checking in. And I think I think it's hard. I think it's harder when, I think it's harder to adjust when you move up the ranks as opposed to when you're mm. a junior. Like when is the time to start challenging opposed to when is the time to learn and observe? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Anyway, as you were saying, Rebecca. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's it's a fine balance to have, but I think the more you start practicing it and with respect, you know, you can still respectfully share your opinions without, you know, rubbing it in someone else's face that you don't agree with them. I think what definitely holds us back is not sharing our opinions with conviction being in meetings and deciding that we're not going to speak up because everyone else is more experienced, you know? And I think the other thing that definitely I experienced a lot was just not being able to share the same experiences as my colleagues, just because of the people that I, you know, I was surrounded with and my past experiences growing up from a black family were just not the same as the experiences that my colleagues had, you know, um, going to Disneyland for holidays overseas, you know, and we maybe in our generation can can give our kids those experiences. But our, many of our parents, you know, were battling, right, just to give us decent education. And yeah, yeah. And, you know, the lunch banter before the meetings, it took a while for me to be able to like break through that and find commonalities and just break out of that feeling that I was different and I was there was something wrong with me. I think it's something that happens a lot to us as Black women, but it's kind of a bit embarrassing to talk about. 
Um, and I love that there a lot of our organization as well is talking about this, you know, how to start relating with people from different cultures and how to just have that awareness and not to assume that just because you went to a rugby match over the weekend, that your colleagues on that Monday morning meeting are going to be able to talk about whoever won that rugby match, right? And making those assumptions um, because they do affect people's, how people relate with one another. They do affect, you know, your likability factor and how comfortable someone might feel working with you. And so I think navigating around those differences, I would say was probably one of the biggest, you know, challenges that, that I experienced um, as, you know, as a minority in, in the working environment. I think it it takes a lot of um I would say like it's a weird one to say like maturity but that kind of once you're I hate this word because it, it can be used to gas out people but like once you're seasoned and you've been doing this then it, it, that gets to the point where you, you can realize that your experiences are just as valid as your um your colleagues experiences so just because they went to some dry rugby match doesn't mean you can't talk about going to see Beyonce Renaissance or talk about going to a family barbecue or christening or a traditional wedding but it, but it does take time to kind of build that confidence to see your experiences and believe that they have the same value as everyone else's but I think <clears throat> it's also important to talk about it so and I, I don't know what this looks like in the corporate space but like when I was working in social care as a leader um we had a team meeting and one of the questions I asked someone was like what's your childhood memory of summer and I felt I felt like that I don't even feel like that was a question of privilege I just I felt like everybody has childhood memories of the summer holidays and um one of my colleagues I can't remember if she said it afterwards outside of the meeting or sort of kind of in the meeting was like my mum worked I didn't I didn't really have summers and as potentially embarrassing as that was for her I felt which I don't think it was but I felt more embarrassed as a leader that I wasn't sensitive to the fact that everybody doesn't have those experiences and I think it's important that we do share because it will make better leaders because the next time I had team meeting I was like you know, I acknowledge that I I spoke from a point of privilege. My questions perhaps didn't land with everybody um, and it made me plan better for the next time. So, you know, there's power in in being ourselves, but also as a byproduct, we can make better leadership. Mm, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, um, Rebecca, how did you go from manager to director in your industry in four years and for those who don't know are you able to kind of split out the give an explanation of the difference between manager and director for those who might not be in the corporate structure and appreciate the the difference yeah yeah so yeah to answer your first question I first became the director and I know that sounds like a very cliche response to give but it works. It's so, so true that if you do not see yourself as that leader, it's going to be very obvious for when other people are perceiving you, they will not perceive you as the leader. You've got to see yourself as that person. You've got to see yourself 
as capable of, you know, leading a big team, as capable of expanding into bigger responsibilities and roles, um, as capable of doing that while being a great mom. That was one of the biggest fears I had was, you know, once I get to director, maybe that means I won't be a great mom anymore. And that was one of the limiting beliefs I really had to work on because it was actually stopping me from making that directorship a reality. Um, but just to answer the, the 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 second question in terms of the difference, I would say it's really the the responsibility that is placed on you as a director. As a manager, you're responsible for executing someone else's vision. And that's typically how it works in the audit firm or consulting world, which is very much the similar structure to how audit firms operate. And so you're given work to do and you need to just go out and execute. Um, potentially, you could be given a team to support you in executing. And there's a lot of project management that goes with that. Now, as a director, you're the rainmaker. So you've got to go out there. You've got to build relationships with different stakeholders, whether it's internal clients, external clients. You've literally got to build the business from the ground up, right? Um, and no one is going to, you know, ask you, hey, Rebecca, what did you do today? Right? No one is going to micromanage you. And so it calls for a much higher level of, of responsibility. And I think that's why taking radical responsibility for every micro area of your life can be such a powerful tool in excelling in a director role in your career. So I would say that's the biggest difference. But I mean, your team could also potentially grow. And that also calls for another level of expansion because leading a team of three versus leading a team of 30 could feel very different, especially if you haven't done the inner work to be ready to hold space for that many people and still be able to take care of yourself. And so I think for me, that that was also one of the biggest things that I, I probably underestimated how much energy it would take to be able to lead with empathy and with the same level of care, this big team, and still be able to take care of my needs and myself. Um, because if I, if I don't do that, then how am I going to be a great leader for these people who are looking up to me? So um, just in terms of kind of building into that and building on that, how did you actually build that mental fitness in order to be able to be the kind of empathetic, supportive leader holding space for that many people, as you say? Yeah, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. I think it's it's continuous work. It just never ends. But I think a lot of the the foundation was laid from from the mindset work that I started doing three years ago. So looking at my limiting beliefs, why are they not true? How can I dispel them each and every day? How can I disprove them? What action am I going to take to disprove these limiting beliefs and to create the new belief system by which I'm going to live? Um, and not just in my career, but in other areas of my life that have a ripple effect on what, what's happening in my career. Mm. And then I think really just taking action. I think as, as 
women of color, I think that's also another challenge that, you know, I I know it's not the easiest thing to do when it's above above your pay grade, quote unquote. But I think taking action and raising your hand whenever those opportunities come to be able to hold space for a bigger team than what you're used to can be so powerful, right? So even if it's a, a social initiative um, that your team leader wants to delegate to someone to to manage and you're responsible for working with 10 other people, that could help you to prepare in creating that expansion that's required within you to manage uh, a bigger team. So I would say taking action, but also doing that inner work continuously, it just never ends. And then showing up every single day as the leader that you want to work for and asking yourself every single day, how have I done that? How have I been empathetic today? How have I shown support to my team members? And I think the more you do it, the more natural it comes so that when you do have that bigger team, it's not like a lot of friction for you to be able to step into that role when when you need to. Yeah, one of That's my one of my issues is not my personal issue, but sure, it has been. <laughs> no, it's that limiting belief and yeah. distinguishing between what is a limiting belief and what is a and what is capabilities? Because I think what I find a lot of my peers doing and what I was likely to do in a previous time is go away and be like, well, I, I need to study more. I need to take this course. I need to qualify. And really and truly, a lot of the time we have the skill, we have the excellence. We sometimes even have the qualification. We're just not thinking about how to transfer it over. And so like, I, is, there a, is there a way that we can, for, for that person who's considering to take on a PhD or whatever course it is, you know, what would you say to Rika? Is there a way to distill between actually, yes, there's a competence issue. There's something that you do need to learn to go up versus you're actually just creating another barrier because of your limiting belief? Yeah, that's a really good question because that sounds like something I do every day. I need a course. Yeah, go on. I'm, Rebecca, I'm excited to hear your answer because it's going to help my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's twofold, right? So I think there are some circumstances where genuinely there is a skills gap and you know, when you're experiencing that imposter syndrome that is telling you you're not experienced enough, then it's it's a call for you to assess, okay, is that true? Or, you know, is is that a story that I'm telling yourself, telling myself? And if you can, I always tell my clients, if you can find evidence, literally in whether it's in your organization or elsewhere of people who are way higher than you, who do not have that fancy MBA that you think is holding you back. For me, that is evidence enough that that is just a story and a belief that you have decided to take on. That is not a fact, right? As long as it's not something we can all agree to, it is not a fact and it's potentially a limiting belief. That's that's my view. And what I have seen most of the time with high achieving women is they think that the qualification and the MBA is the reason they're not excelling. But I would probably say 
you know, confidently put it as 95%, maybe even more, 95% of the time, it's not a qualification issue. It's, it's, it's just a story we've told ourselves because we think that when we do get that additional knowledge or whatever, we'll be able to speak more. But what happens when we do get it? We don't speak more, right? You've got to speak up more now on your way to getting, and, and getting knowledge is important. I'm also not saying, you know, just sit back and don't upskill yourself. It is important, but do not use that as an excuse not to step up into and expand into that leadership capability that is already in there. Yeah, I think that's tough because that kind of feeds into the next question about imposter syndrome, because ultimately you may convince yourself that you're not deserving of a position because you don't have certain qualifications. But I feel like sometimes we just have to kind of channel that thing like a white man energy because a lot of these additional qualifications and things like that, the people that are ahead of you have never had, never even considered. There was one thing on your profile this that was really interesting to me. And you said that, you know, in order to get promoted to be a leader, you don't need to join your organization's leadership program, which I 120% agree with. Um, I just wanted you to kind of explain that because a lot of people, a lot of organizations are very like, yeah, I need, you know, we need this course. We need to be on this track line. We need to go and have these presentations, these meetings and these away days. And I personally am of the view that they're useless. So it'd be really interesting to hear like what you think as well. Yeah. Yeah. In my view, I mean, when I look at the pipeline of leaders, a lot of organizations are struggling to even find like next level leaders who are going to replace the current crop of leadership. And if corporate trainings were doing what they were meant to do, we wouldn't have that problem. So that's that's where I have a problem with these leadership programs. And I'm not saying that they're not all effective. Like go on the leadership program if you do get that opportunity, right? But do not use that as the reason why you will or not get that promotion. It's way more than that, you know? And I think the gap I have seen, the biggest gap that I have seen with leadership programs is they're so focused on the doing, right? You've got to do this. This is how you've got to lead your team. This is how you speak in meetings. This is how you show up in the boardroom. But not a lot of it is focused on the person you need to be in order to do those things effectively. I think that's when that missing piece is is found, I don't know by who, HR or talent i don't know who's responsible for that i think we'll find we'll see a lot more conversion of those leadership programs into people actually becoming real you know real next level leaders to step into the the exco's yeah no it's, i agree it's gotta be, it's gotta be full circle because like you said um, in terms of our own experiences, there's a level of unlearning that people have to do. And I think for the most part, there are so many industries that are locked into tradition and ways of doing things, whether that's leadership or ways of working. And so as a leader, you exactly what you're saying in terms of being who you want to be, but also standing by that conviction. So 
you know, at the moment, I just finished reading a number of pages in a newspaper about everybody not going back to work. And these columnists, these opinionists saying everyone needs to go back five days a week, go back five days a week. And I know there's an economic argument for it. My boss, she's like, work is an activity, not a location. If we could do no days from the office and get away with it, I would. Um, and I love that for us. But it's it's a total... Please give her a, a high five. Absolutely. But it's a total mindset. And I think much of the problem that we inherit as we step into leadership is people wanting us to follow the paths that have already been tread. Just this is the way we do things. And so alongside having to sort of sometimes battle to be our authentic selves, that also comes with challenging status quo. Um, So I know you spoke about unlearning for yourself, but I think industry has a lot of unlearning to do as well. A point, not a question. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a call for us as women of color too, as we rise into leadership, you know. Yeah, it's great that you've achieved that, but how are you making sure that you're also part of the change going forward? Because now you can't point fingers anymore. You know, you're part of that leadership that needs to look at things differently, that needs to unlearn, that needs to embrace change, that needs to be open to being challenged in new ways of doing things. I don't want to be challenged. I just want to do my job and go home. That's what <laughs> but no, it's, 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 it's true. It is true. And it's, I feel like, um, I do feel like it's, I, I do feel like it is difficult for senior black women in leadership um, because ultimately, um, you are going into a structure that even though you're a leader isn't really designed for you to succeed and to thrive and so there comes with that so many different push and pull factors because it's like you want the leader position because you this is what you want for your career but then there's anxiety that when you get there you're still at such a disadvantage compared to people who are in the same ranks as you or just above you it can be a bit of a um it it can play with your your mind, um, but in these moments um, when you're trying to like avoid comparing yourself to each other and things like that, how do you how do you eliminate the need for external validation? Oh yeah, that's such a good one uh, because I think until you have done that self worth work which I used to think self-worth is, you know, for people who are depressed until I realized that I needed to do a lot of the work myself because I took a lot of validation from my work when people would give me accolades, when I would get the strongly agrees on my performance reviews. But I think it then calls for you to do a lot of, again, a lot of that inner work in really getting to believe for yourself first that your worth is not your work, right? Your worth is not other leaders agreeing to what you, what you're saying, right? They might disagree and maybe that's even the right thing to do. Or maybe that's even a call that that's not the organization for you to thrive in. Who knows? But 
I think just getting to that belief that and and standing in your conviction that your worth is not your work can be so powerful in being able to rise up to the leadership table in openly sharing your convictions without that constant fear of what's yeah. going to happen will there be retaliation and then what happens when you're constantly second guessing yourself is you end up not saying anything which could then also have negative ripple effects and people starting to ask themselves, okay, why is she here if she's not going to add any value? Um, so I, I think it, it can be such a powerful asset and no one can take it away from you once you you do that work and you strengthen and you take that, it takes root in, in yourself that your worth is way more it's, it has nothing to do with your work right it has nothing to do with where you work it has nothing to do with your title you are worthy of that of being in leadership of being in that room of saying what you need to say of sharing your convictions whether people agree with it or not and i know it's not the easiest thing for us as as women of color because we don't see many people who look like us but I also think that it's changing and I take a lot of, of comfort in having allies many more than, than I used to see 10 years ago when I started, who are also rallying behind the cause of, of what women of color have to bring and the diversity and ideas based on, you know, how we see things and our perspective um, and how we can add value to organizations. Yeah, mm. I That's think this is where Tolls wouldn't like this because I feel like, you know, people might be listening or reading the description and thinking, I thought this was going to be my guide into senior leadership. And, and you're telling me to believe in myself. And I know Tolls will say this airy fairy. But honestly, I think like as someone who has. Walked, at Tolls when she's not here. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, she, she the airy fairy, she's like, believe in yourself. But like someone who is still walking through my career journey, who has coached, you know, I think one of the things um, in terms of what you were saying, Rebecca, is about turning those questions into doubt, turning those questions of doubt into statements of affirmation. So rather than the the what if they don't listen to me, it's that I have a good idea and everyone's going to want to hear it <laughs> and and literally just turning yeah. your doubt into into positivity that's unshakable yeah absolutely and why I so strongly believe in the being is because it affects the doing right we can talk about you know getting advocates um, the importance of working on how you influence and how you communicate in meetings and we can talk about all those things and you being that impactful leader and being able to create high a high performance culture and all those things they're great but if you haven't worked on the self confidence no one is going to want to, is going to want to be led by you if you haven't done the inner work mm. how are you going to convince other people of your ideas yeah that's true so um, unfortunately we are getting to a point where 
we're going to have to wrap up. There's never enough time. And I always feel like I could sit down for hours with all of the black women that we, that we talk to on the show. But if you had to distill down to, you know, like three, four, maybe two, whatever elements of being, what would you say either as a question or a point to take on for our black women listening who are aspiring to leadership? What does it mean to be? So if That's I'm a walking good question. office tomorrow and I'm Chantel being, what do I need to do? Mm, that's a very good question. So I think the first thing you need to get clarity on is who do you want to be? Right. So the version of you who is in that corner office, who is leading a big team or whatever that looks like for you, it could even look completely different. Right. I have many clients who come to me and say, you know what, I want to be in a senior leadership position, but I don't want to lead a team. That's possible but you need to define that for yourself. So the version of you who is at that next level, right? How does she think, walk, talk, act, make decisions at a micro level, not just in the big moments, at a micro level, right? How how does she respond to criticism in meetings? How does she handle difficult team conversations? How does she walk into the office? How does, what does her posture look like in meetings, right? At the micro level, who are you being? Who do you need to be, right? And literally script it out. That can be such a powerful exercise, scripting out the version of you who's already at that next level. And every day ask yourself, how can I embrace that version of me now? Right. The title is really just the low. It's the lowest level of leadership for those who follow John Maxwell. Having the title has nothing to do with you being the leader. Right. That's just like the entry point. So don't wait for the title to become the leader. How can you become her now? Right. How can you be decisive in your convictions now? How can you put your hand up more often to uncomfortable opportunities that you naturally wouldn't say yes to that would help you expand into that next level leadership uh, role that you want to be in, right? And I think as you do those things consistently, it's amazing. Like six months from now, if you do that work consistently, you're not going to be the same person you were six months ago. That's the first thing that I, I would do. And then the, the second thing I think we've already talked about it is what are your statements of belief that you're choosing to live by, right? And, and it's so important to become the guard to the door of your mind so that when those thoughts that don't actually serve you in your career, when they do trigger, right, it's important to be aware of how do you respond? How do you act, right? When you're in that meeting and something is telling you, no, <laughs> whatever you're about to say is not a good idea. How do you respond, right? And in that micro moment, how are you going to either change that belief and focus on the new belief that you're choosing to live by, right? And, and there will be slip ups, right? There will be times when it won't always happen 
as as planned, right? And maybe that self-critic might be the victor. But just being self-aware of when those situations happen so that the next time it happens, you're very well prepared um, to be the victor, right, in that circumstance. And then I think thirdly, I've already talked about taking radical responsibility, which is not the easiest thing to do, especially as Black women, because there are so many things that are out of our control. But even in those situations, we still have choice. We always have choice. And I think that's that's what I would like to leave your listeners with, that empowerment to know that there is always always choice right and and i want you to choose in in all circumstances or to know what choice you're making by design not by default right creating that leadership legacy or that leadership position or whatever you want to call it the leadership experience happens by design it does not happen by accident And so embracing that power of choice by design can be so, so powerful, but you do also have to take radical responsibility. It it goes hand in hand. So I would, I would boil them down to those three things. I like it. I like radical responsibility because for me, that says as the leader, make them work. (laughs) And, you know, it's something that I lived by in the classroom as a teacher. They say you're a leader in your sphere of influence. So if you're a classroom teacher, you're a leader in the classroom. If you're a department leader, then you lead your department, whatever. But you're a leader all the time. And um, one of my goals in my second year was that 100% of the children would pass with a grade A to C, which is near on, near on, not impossible, but very. It, it's very rare that you see a class, a school come out with 100%. And I said, that's the target and that's what we're working towards. And all the cogs that need to pull, all the work that I need to do, all the work the parents need to do, all the work the department needs to do, everybody, all the work the children need to do, everybody's going to do their part because that was my radical responsibility for my class, that we are all passing at an average or above. Um, I don't care if it's unrealistic. We can talk about how realistic or what went wrong after the fact. But whilst... I'm the boss. This is what I'm saying. I'm the boss. boss. So I love radical right. responsibility. Uh, I love that. But Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm definitely going to be re-listening to this this episode because it's really been it's, it's really been insightful and the focus on the self and what we can control as individuals is actually pretty empowering. Um especially when talking about black women and getting um, promoted, the focus on, on what you can control is good because a lot of what we hear is about glass ceiling or glass cliff, glass cliff or glass this or glass underneath, all kind of glass. But I say what I to say, thank you for joining us. Please let us know where our listeners can find you. So let's have your Instagram details, everything, please. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I I really enjoyed having this conversation. And yeah, absolutely. Feel free to follow me on LinkedIn at Rebecca Morioki. I am also on Instagram, same name, just with a K in between, Rebecca K. Morioki. And I would love to gift your audience with a mini course. It's a three-part course called Position to Promotion. 
just send me a DM with the word Black Women Working Podcast and I will know to share the gift with you and your listeners. Oh, that is oh brilliant. Oh my God, we didn't even know that. That is so kind of you. Thank you. Listeners. These people better be listening to the end. You know, if you don't DM this woman, it's me and you. Because honestly, I, I can I can I access the course as well? I'm assuming like <laughs> absolutely. I I'm happy to DM you. Don't worry. But no, that is um that is phenomenal. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, and so we are coming to the end. We're at the end. I feel like we've just announced the end so many times. It's like we're at a funeral. <laughs> but um, because we're you... all walking into our new selves tomorrow. That's why. That's right. That is right. Um, but thank you so much for listening. As always, please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to help us get the word out. Please like, subscribe and share. Those are our three special requests for you. If you want to keep the conversation going and you want to keep in touch with us, you can use our hashtag, which is hashtag BWWPodcastUK. You can at us at Twitter on Twitter or X as it's now called or Instagram and our handles are at BWWPodcastUK as always you can email us DM us if you have any topics anybody you would like us to have on the podcast and if you have any questions for Rebecca we're going to include all her details in the podcast descriptions that you can reach out to her please 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 take advantage of the three-step course offer because I'm sure it's going to be phenomenal because I know I will also be doing that course as well um but yeah thank you again for listening and until next time ladies bye bye